There's a place I have found in the shade on the ground, far from our worries and troubles. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Vine Permaculture Podcast. Uh, my name's Cormac. I'm glad you could all meet us. Uh, join us today. I'm joined by Mike Jones. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, Cormac. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. I've got a beer, so I'm happy. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Here uh, in the um, five hours behind you on the on the planet, still That's, coffee. Uh, it's four now this for this month. <laughs> uh, all right. So today is uh, this is covering two lunchtime learning podcasts or lunchtime learning episodes, annuals and perennials. Uh, so basically for the annuals, we talked about like square foot gardening, till or no till. Uh, I think the perennials then we just talked about, um, oh, I can't remember now. Uh, basically, I perennial garden, perennial plants. Uh, I know for me, design-wise, it's always a challenge to balance annuals and perennials uh, when you're designing. And basically, I could just go by the personality of the a sort of a rule of thumb is the personality of the person. If they're a more lazy gardener like myself, more perennials. <laughs> if they're full of energy, more annuals. But any, it seems like any good, um, any good thing in life has usually some kind of like dichotomy, a balance between two extremes that you're trying to like balance with. Um, and annuals and perennials are in permaculture design, at least, is really like that is a, a practice and that that kind of balance in between the two um you know, in reality most calories that pass through human bodies on this planet are annual from annual plants it's what feeds us for the most part perennials are more of a long-term investment um you know so you're not gonna probably get a yield right away but then it'll be gangbusters down the line um so you're investing for the future and it's weird like even just in those practices, um, we get uh, that dichotomy or that that scale of of things going on, because um, you know annuals use all their energy for one for one event. You know, like a like a flea market or a, a farmer's market. You put all your effort into this one market and you sell it, and, and that's it. Um, whereas perennials invest in the long term. Perennials. Um, they invest in their roots and their stems and making them woody and strong enough for the wind for the long haul. They also invest in a network of mycorrhizal underneath in the, you know, which an annual doesn't have time to build that up. Maybe a little nodes, a couple of nodes on the roots, and then it's done for the year. Whereas perennial is like a long-term investment. Um, so in that same vein, you probably, we should think of our gardens that way, um, you know, as as a, a sort of a balance between perennials, uh, you know, the convenience of perennials ultimately, and the just necessary sustenance that comes from annual vegetables. Yeah, uh, I think perennials too. Uh, I suppose like we call it like myself straight away. Perennials <laughs> give you structure. I think the trees, and, and it's it's a nice structure they build your design around. That's mm -hmm. like right. Uh, I, like I want an apple. I want the pear. I right? put them on first, and then, then you decide then what 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 type of annuals, uh, you want on there. Um, the only really, I, uh, the only really crop I put in really sort of like crop would be like potatoes, and then, and then I have lettuce, 
but I prefer the annual style or the perennial style of gardening where you just you plant it and then it would have like this like strawberries or perennial. Uh rhubarb I have just keeps coming back. Um stuff like that. That's just great. It's just <laughs> they see quite the harvest that comes back next year. But if you really want to ramp up our production, the annuals are best. So what I do is like I have two fruit trees and then I have a annual bed in between it then. So like I'll have a more high production like onions or garlic. And then they'll have two fruit trees at the end. And it's sort of just they mix it up really. Yeah, that's I mean that's yeah, that's a good mix. It's like I, I guess again, I, I I like these going on these scales. Um this between one extreme of the, the purely permaculture or the I'm sorry, the purely um perennial permaculture food forest, you know, where everything is perennial. Um to then the the other extreme, which would be the vegetable garden, uh, which is all annuals with not a single perennial in them. So both, well, actually the one extreme is is not too bad. That's a fully mature food forest, but you're not going to achieve that for 20, 25 years, you know, in reality. Um, so in between is really where our designs, or at least I find my designs flowing like between, you know, a food forest where you're tucking annuals into spaces where you're structuring it, like you said, a skeleton of of structure um, where trees and shrubs, et cetera, and then even defined herbaceous plants. Um, but you can tuck annuals into that, your garlic, you can tuck in potatoes, you can tuck in anything. And now these annuals are suddenly hanging out with all these plants who care about them and are gonna do functions and protect them and and even you know help nourish them and add to flavor and everything. Um, so that's a, yeah, one extreme. The other extreme is in the vegetable garden, which I'm trying to kind of like think about like, how do you get a productive, somewhat convenient to harvest annual garden that's backboned with perennial guardian plants? So maybe in a in a maybe a, a five or six foot strip with paths on either side for access. In that middle of that, where the reach is the most difficult, you put a line of one foot perennials. You know what I mean, marigold and whatever, just small perennials that'll stay there. That way, they're not in the way of you tilling. So that way you can still kind of get your annual veggie garden on with the benefit of perennial guardians as well. I just seen a picture there the other day it was a row of cabbages and then on either side was a row of marigolds. It's like sort of hiding the cabbages from all the pests. Yeah, it's somebody who really cares about cabbage. Yeah. And you're investing half the space in just the, this concept of of a uh, uh, and that's not a sacrificial plant. It's a plant that's doing a function for those cabbages, keeping away insects, the cabbage worm, the cabbage, uh, many different cabbage pests, we'll call them. And do you have a, do you design like, a, so for my gills, I would throw, I suppose they're perennials, like chives and stuff for perennials. I suppose it depends your climate. Do they get killed off in the winter? But I, I wouldn't shy away from putting like sweet potatoes in there or, or potatoes uh around the trees just to get just to take up a wee bit of space and it's like free space see what you can pack on yeah i mean yeah companion planting you know there's this this list of good and bad mostly good but sometimes also bad companions that you don't want to mix in but that sort of mathematical dance you have to do each year and rotating crops and that whole thing um that kind of all goes away when you're heavily mixing perennials with the annuals 
because then they basically serve the function of of um you know keeping away disease and staving it off and rebuilding the soil each year um you may have to add compost to your vegetable space anyway and compost is sort of like a magic eraser that erases a lot of problems in the soil uh you know when in doubt add compost but you may not even have to if you're if you had a mature intercropped vegetable garden um you know and i think increasingly that's something to think about because all the problems in the world, of course, um, you never know. And this system and you could not, I'm not like a survivalist, but it's just good to like, before things happen to like, you know, there's an old saying when things are, when things are um, bad, you got to chop firewood and carry water. And when things are good, you have to chop firewood and carry water. So kind of like behave in the behave in that emergency situation before the emergency situation happens. But that's that's hard to do. And that's for, for most people, the reality of that is 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 um, difficult because they spend all their time with their job. And a vegetable garden takes time and effort. Um, even a permaculture, a lazy perennial permaculture garden still takes, especially the first year, takes a good amount of time and effort. It's it's a dedication. But you're you're growing your food which is becomes you and like it's like you it's how much do you, it's almost like how you treat your garden is, is has basically how much you care about yourself in a way you know yeah i don't say i think too like i i wouldn't consider 10 hours in the garden a week work i would consider that like pleasure but a, a lot yeah. of people would see that as hard work so it's, it's i think it depends that's why i always say that it's the personality of the person but it's not easy. You're going to get crop failures, particularly annuals are going to fail. Uh, you're going to look around and your crop's going to be devastated by some bug. Uh, and I think that's setting that expectation too for four things. It's like you might grow 10 things. Well, two or three might do really well. Five might do average and the other two might just completely just die. <laughs> so it's having that variation every year and you have to be expecting that. So I think that's more a well even even that can happen to perennials because if you get a like a, a false spring and the mm, flowers come yes. out and then all of a two, sudden frost two years ago we had and then that's it that's your trees that's your crop going for the year yep I suppose yeah, then I, I think we talked about this previously but basically uh planting for your zone and then having <laughs> having that one zone buffer yeah. So if you plant for the zone below and you do get a, you know, a, 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 it goes really cold snap. You're not, you're not as, uh, you're not as vulnerable. You're still vulnerable, but, uh, so do you reckon, do you ever, uh, one of the things I always recommend for a beginner garden is a square foot garden. Have you ever used that? Uh, Mel Bartholomew is, has a, has a place in my heart always. Yeah. I started off with square foot gardening, Pennsylvania with, you know, constructed wooden, beds made five feet and we did the strings and everything square foot gardening it's an excellent way of doing things and it also allows for intercropping because you could put a perennial on that one foot thing and then a veggie right next door perennial and veggie i don't know what that ratio is exactly annual to perennial but um but square foot gardening is just a way of laying that out on a grid like a spreadsheet or a piece of piece of graph paper um and, and it just it takes some of the mystery out of it. On the other hand, aesthetically, 
People may not like rigid structures and <laughs> spreadsheet, you know, like I understand robots are scary, but, you know, um, but, you know, we could have a curvaceous garden. Can't really do that with square foot gardening because you have to bring your trigonometry and slide rule with you to do calculations where square foot's just laid out and makes the math easy. And it also forces you to think about the spacing and forces you, and it makes it really easy to, to intercrop things because oh, I could just use that for a marigold or, you know, or I could use four of those squares for borage, you know, if you wanted to on the end. What do you think a good ratio of uh, annual to perennial? And again, I'm focusing on the vegetable garden because more more people have vegetable gardens than have food forests. So it's just more, you know. Um, well, for likes of a vegetable garden, when I, I think I had a, was it a six foot by four foot bed? Mm -hmm. and the, and the, the I that was pure annuals, but then I have a, a bed beside it that was is perennial beds, like herbs. The herb bed here is perennial, so it's it it just comes back. So that gets I have the herbs, and then what I would do is put annual flowers on. Uh, I think I told you before about nasturtiums, so I would put mm -hmm. say it was a potato. So what I would do with that bed is potatoes, is plant one potato every square foot. So it's your, your four foot bed, you have four potatoes. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so plant the potatoes first. Then just pluck a potato on the ground in the middle, steep as you can. And then I would do a row of spinach uh, then in between. So then what happens then is the spinach grows. And then you harvest the spinach. And then by that stage, the potatoes then is caught up and it start going. So you're, you're sort of two crops in the one bed. And then I would also put nasturtiums or marigolds in with that as well. It's like sort of pest protection and nasturtiums as well. I, I love them. They're, they're really delicious. So oh, I yeah. put marigolds in. And what tends to happen then is I have the bed set up in such a way is that the potatoes then die off. And when I harvest the potatoes, then the nasturtiums, they seed. So then it turns on the bed and nasturtiums. So again, an our harvest out of it again. So that's three harvests in the one space. And I'm not, it's very little effort. And I just let it, let, let the nasturtiums go to seed. And then that becomes a seed bed of nasturtiums for the following year. Oh, it's a self-seeding annuals. Self-seeding annual. So I just let yes. it go to seed. And you can harvest the seeds as well and use them for like peppercorns type thing. Um, oh, yeah, so that's so, nice. That's so a good idea. A, but I, I just let, let them go. So then the beds, then chop everything on the bed. So the nasturtiums is, is all out on the bed. Add some compost. That's biomass or mulch. That's biomass as mulch. And then the following year, rinse and repeat. And it's very little effort. You get three crops out of the one bed. That's that's intercropping. That's companion uh, planting. Um, yeah, and it's also the permaculture principle of stacking functions. You're you're using that space to the max in that short growing season here in Zone Four, Vermont. It's an even shorter growing oops. season. Um, you know, uh, so we're we're doing the best we can here, but we're not knocking anyone's socks off uh, as far as production goes. Yet yeah, we don't have a high tunnel. Um, but oh, even in a high man. tunnel, I would I would put perennials in there as well. Um, first of all, any decision you make, remember you're like when you're talking about small plants, not trees and shrubs that are expensive, and you got to spend some significant money. If you're planting things from seeds, it's super cheap. It's a time investment. You don't want to lose your tomato plant as you're transplanting it, you know. Um, but 
the um, I forget my my bigger point, but uh, it's <laughs> I, it's just I, I think just in general, if if you're a new gardener, the more diversity you put, even if it's all annuals. The more diversity and the more that you mix things up, the harder you make it for those pests that like each of those different kinds of plants to make it to the next guy. So you're just making it hard for all the diseases and all the pests to do their dirty work. Uh -huh. So, you know, and you're doing that with design. It's just so again, like if compost is the easy button, so is diversity. Diversity will solve a lot of the problems on its own. Um, you might lose some of your plants, but you're not going to lose all of them. Uh, you know, if you were to plant a whole field of corn and a corn bug comes along that likes corn, bye bye you know, unless you start poisoning it with chemicals, but then you can't eat it and it's just silly. I think uh, Stefan Sokoviak speaks about that uh, and his permaculture orchard. It's like a perennial orchard. But basically, if you have, if you have a row of apples, it just, <laughs> the wee bug just jumps. But if you have an apple, a pear, well, the the one that likes the apples sort of just stays and eats the apples. <laughs> it doesn't, it can't find the other apples so easy. Yeah, it just stays at the one place. And, you know, it's like a rock yeah. star going into a hotel. You know, they might smash up just one hotel room, but they're not going <laughs> to spread to every hotel in Las Vegas, and, you know, unless yeah. they're a mega star. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, interesting, <laughs> interesting analogy. <laughs> I got analogies all day long. Uh, rock star piss. Uh, <laughs> I so I think as we all, I yeah, do appreciate too when the when the uh, particularly annuals if they're stressed, they do send out send out a signal. They say, "The nature, I'm stressed. Come and eat me and get rid of me because I'm not going to be any any good anymore." Or it's like a stress hormone. So if if your plant is slightly stressed in a bed, it's easier to hide amongst other things rather than just if you've twenty stressed cabbages or a field of stressed corn. It's sending out them pheromones saying, no, I'm basically not at my optimum. Take me away. So it's yeah, it's, for it's, sure. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, exactly. Hide, hiding that hiding that stress pheromone is 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 important. So that's why it's easier for the gardener. Actually, you're not if you're interplanting, you're not going to be interplanting big big crops. So let's talk about interplanting. And there, there's something we haven't mentioned. And again, and there's a, there's a balance between two extremes. Um, and that is, on one hand, you have all the benefits of diversity. Um, you have a diverse crop. You have a way less disease and, and et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but on the other hand, then there's the convenience of harvesting. Um, so... You know, if you have too much all mixed in and you don't know what's what, as an earlier garden before you can just recognize plants, um, it might be confusing and just too much for the farmer. So you've just, you've not only deterred the insects from messing with your garden, <laughs> you've deterred the farmer and that's, that's uh, no good on one end. So, you know, on the other end is is like, I guess the 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 other end would be rows of crops. You know, I lived in Pennsylvania, um, right near the inventor of TV. Um, um, you could just Google it. I can't think of his name right now. But the place where TV was invented, the the the, the, the transmission tower was still there. This is like Pennsylvania, you know, near Philadelphia. And he he invented TV because he was a farmer. And 
industrial crops. And this is 18, late 1800s. But he, he looked, he noticed as he was moving through by the fields that, you know, there was all these lines, all these lines and, you know, he can line up. And eventually he extrapolated that he could create images that way. And then the TV has all these lines of, of resolution that shoots an electron gun that's going back and forth really fast. But it basically creates, it's, he just recreated those, those row crops. Um, and that's great because that allows you to, to that that structure those lines allows for very convenient things whether it's like electrons flowing through you know lines or whatever to be able to produce a, a tv image or if it's a tractor to harvest you know acres and acres of, of corn or whatever um but that that great convenience obviously um is one end and you have all your diseases and problems there and the other end is the you know, unharvestable, super diverse garden, which for an expert might be just fine. I mean, you're working toward that diverse garden, but in the meantime, you really need to balance the two. And I think either leaving, you know, leaving rows where you can just have annuals where you don't have to worry about disturbing or breaking a perennial, but girded either like lines, like I was saying in the middle or at the edges and container. All right, so Mike, what do you think of... Uh... I think it's a big debate was caused controversy. The, the till versus no till. <laughs> not so controversial in my eyes. I just I I I tend not to I do it once. If I'm building a bed, I might do it the first time round and then make sure I fork it in well and then add compost on top, and then that's it. I don't really till after that. Well, you're I think I uh, yeah, I don't know about like how much controversy there is. There might be for the person who's like day one heard of permaculture and like, Oh, you know, but there's probably no controversy for anyone who's thought about it for a little while. Um, I think of, again, with the analogies, I think of the soil as um, like our skin. Um, sometimes it's necessary to perform invasive surgery, which would be tilling. Um, but you wouldn't want to have surgery every year. You know, so yeah, you might need to break some eggs to make an omelet, squeeze some lemonade to make some lemonade or whatever, some <laughs> lemon. But, uh, you know, um, I think that the soil can, when, if, if you, again, you go back to um, the uh, agricultural plot that's plowed every year, the soil never has a chance to form mycorrhizal networks to, you know, build up any kind of momentum life-wise, to have a, a history of depth, to, to create channels for water and air to flow through, to have earthworms, you know, because it's tilled up and killed every year. Um, so I think tilling is, it's an economic model that has to do with money and it has little to do with plants or health. Um, so it's according to what, you, what you're doing it for. Um, whereas um, I think that, no tilling is just you know it's it's again mimicking mimicking the forest the forest doesn't have to doesn't weed and doesn't you know ha have um doesn't till it doesn't weed it, it does none of that um because it creates its own mulch with biomass falling from the canopy and, and the understory um so we can mimic that in, in a permaculture design basically by adding mulch um or at least investing in the the soil with mulch to start with. And then maybe if you're building a, like a food forest, the food forest will mature and start making its own mulch at some point. But in the beginning for several years, that's, that's one of the biggest and most expensive um, 
investments in the average gar permaculture garden, I would say would be mulch because you need six inches of it, you know, and they got to top it off each year. So you need a, a good source of hardwood mulch. Um, um, yeah. So that prevents you from not tilling at all. And I know there's other methods of Ruth Stout method and Paul Gauchi with um, the uh, back to Eden. Yeah, exactly. Back to Eden. Yeah, that's but, mulch too. They charge for mulch here, whereas in, in the U.S. they don't. So uh, it's, well, it's according to where you're at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some places you can get municipal mulch. You also can't control what might be in that, though it's generally clean. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, because yeah, I, I, I went to get it. Because I watched these videos on YouTube. It says, oh, chip drop, get all this free mulch. Great, just go get free mulch and leaves. And I went to look, and I was, boy, was a guy, what was it, 10, 15 pounder trailer? He's like, watched too many edible acres videos. And Sean, he just he's charmed. He just this mulch comes to him and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a great show. Now, yeah. I like his way of uh running a perennial nursery, which again is all mixed in. It's very 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 uh allows the, the plants to develop uh naturally in, in the ground and then he uh just the whole the whole setup because he's a good mix of annuals and perennials too, doesn't he? And the chickens and it's some setup he has. Yeah, he's like the ultimate DIY small scale permaculture. He, he every time I say, "Oh, you need," you know, everyone I think maybe has this thought in their head with permaculture. Oh, you need a million dollars. You need a hundred acres. You need a million dollars to do permaculture, right? And every time I watch one of Sean's videos, I'm like, "Wow, he pretty much does everything um, on a ridiculously small amount of land." Um, so, I mean, which is which there's hope in that because um, you can, um, you know, permaculture can reach more people that way. Um, I think so, I, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's good that uh, you don't need a fortune. and That's good. And uh, I suppose like you can take cuttings as well to get your perennials built up. Uh, you can seed swap. There's plenty of seed swap events about the place. So if, if it's not about money, you can get started and just get going. I think it's when you get under these raised beds and structures and uh, that'll come later on down the road, just start putting plants in, whether it's annuals or perennials. <laughs> exactly. Start small. I mean, if, if you're, if, if that's your scale, plus you're not just growing food, you're not just developing garden space on your land or, or whatever situation you're in. You're, you're also growing your knowledge each year. And that's kind of has to keep up with the plantings. So it really makes sense to start small. Um, even if it's just a container of veggie, you want to stick some kind of perennial in there that'll protect it. Or like you were saying, nasturtium, which is an annual that has those perennial guardian functions. Um, yeah, I love nasturtiums. <laughs> They're really yeah, and, and the flowers. I love eating them. The edible flowers, you pay a fortune for them in a restaurant. If you, were um, to cook, if you were to cook dinner and then stick a nasturtium flower on the side of the plate on date night, you know, it's that's it's a really good thing. It's class. Uh, well, I, I I think uh, well, not, not bombshell. We'll leave it there. <laughs> but a romance, <laughs> but a but a didn't advice. Uh, just a short one. But we'll be back soon. I uh, we episode four. I can't remember what's up next, but uh, I think it's more plan. Uh, it's planning part two. I think. Uh, so if you haven't watched watched the uh, lunchtime learning. Uh, the link will be in the description. And um, thanks very much, Mike, for joining us this afternoon. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Bye. Mark.
And thanks everybody else for joining us. We'll chat to you later. Okay. See Found in the shade on the ground. Far from all worries and troubling sound. When I go there to be by myself, only me. No one can guess what I came there to see.